Uh, good morning and welcome to our service at Ashcroft this morning. Uh, a relatively sunny morning, so those of us in the building are not frozen. We may feel a bit fresh-aired, as though we're on the seafront, but it's not too bad. And we welcome those of you at home sitting more comfortably, perhaps, with a cup of coffee. We welcome to lead our service this morning Maureen Partington, and we welcome her back to our church to lead us in worship this morning. Thank you for that welcome. It's lovely to be here, even if it is in strange times. We make the best of it. We worship God. A glutton and a drunkard, that was what his critics called him when they saw the company he kept. Out of his mind, that was what his family remarked when they heard the things he had to say. Don't go there. That is what one of his closest friends advised when he realized the danger that certainly lay ahead of them. So to his critics, he said, I didn't call, come to call the righteous. And to his family, he said, whoever does God's will is my mother and sister and brother. And to his friend, he said, whoever does God's will, sorry, to his friend, he said, never mind the others, you follow me. He was Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, reconciling the world to himself, comforting and disturbing, so that the kingdom might come. Sisters and brothers, we have been brought by Christ into that kingdom. We are part of God's purpose, not through our goodness, but by God's grace. So I thought we would begin with a hymn which we say together rather than singing. It's about the way that we are gathered here as a church, gathered whether in the building or at home. God is here as we, his people, <clears throat> meet to offer praise and prayer. May we find in fuller measure what it is in Christ we share. Here, as in the world around us, all our varied skills and arts wait the coming of the Spirit into open minds and hearts. Here are symbols to remind us of our lifelong need of grace. Here our table, font and pulpit. Here the cross has central place. Here in honesty of preaching, here in silence as in speech, here in newness and renewal, God the Spirit comes to each. Here our children find a welcome in the shepherd's flock and fold. Here, as bread and wine are taken, Christ sustains us as of old. Here, the servants of the servant seek in worship to explore what it means in daily living to believe and to adore. Lord of all, of church and kingdom, in an age of change and doubt, keep us faithful to the gospel. Help us work your purpose out. Here, in this day's dedication, all we have to give, receive. We, who cannot live without you, we adore you, we believe. 
And to that God we adore and believe in, we bring our prayers. Let us pray. Creator God, we praise you for the bright, crisp mornings, for leaves crackling underfoot and wisps of cloud in a pale sky. We praise you for the nighttime rain, for the wind buffeting the town and street lamps reflected in wet pavements. We praise you for the season's labours, for the smell of new-turned earth and smoking bonfires. We praise you for the season's gifts, for fruitfulness beyond measure, and time to reflect and remember. Creator God, we praise you. Thank you for the still, quiet woods of autumn, carpets of acorns crunching underfoot, mushrooms newly grown since yesterday, squatting among the gently shifting mosaic of fallen leaves, for brown fields turned golden by the setting sun, the cautious stare and stamping hooves of wary sheep, the dapper magpie's raucous laughing cry, for hedgerows decorated purple, crimson and black by berries of bramble, lords and ladies and snow slows, clusters of fluffy seeds released by willow herbs. For all that has been grown, created and achieved this year as life settles to see out the winter's cold and storms and waits to break out in new glories next year, we thank you. Amen. We're going to have our reading now, which from, is from the Gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> Readings from Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14, the parable of the wedding feast. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. 
three people or three sets of people in the story. And by tradition, we interpret these as God, the goodies and the baddies. The goodies being us, the followers of Jesus, and the baddies being anyone outside the church. But this particular parable is a bit more complex than that. There are three groups of people and two lone characters. And we could be any one of them. The context is a feast. By tradition, Jewish tradition, that was the heavenly banquet, the kingdom of God. And Jesus says at the beginning, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Now the first group of people are all the invited guests. There's quite an interesting difference between Matthew's version and Luke's version of this story. I invite you all to, when you go home, look at the two in parallel and see the differences. But in, in this, uh, the invited guests, both are, uh, in Matthew and Luke, these invited guests accept the invitation but then don't come when the feast is ready. In Matthew, they're either too busy or they ignore the call or they actually respond with totally unmerited violence towards the servants. And those would correspond to the unfaithful servants in many parables pitched at traditional Jews. In Luke, it's quite different. They actually apologize for not coming and they give very good reasons for not coming. They're attending to their responsibilities. Like good Christian people, busy preaching and campaigning and things like that and haven't got time to come to the party. Then there's the set of uninvited guests, the ones who get brought in from the streets and the hedgerows. In Luke's version, they're the poor and the crippled and the blind, blind and the lame, society's rejects. I wonder how welcoming the church is to misfits, society's rejects. Not openly, of course, but maybe at times. In Matthew, the guests who are brought in are anyone, good or bad, it says. That's an interesting variation. It's about the moral qualities, not about their physical attributes. Matthew is saying that God's welcome is for everyone. It's universal. Everyone can come in. But I wonder if we actually think that people should repent before they come into church. Whatever they may have done, they're welcome, providing they repent. And then there's another group of people who are, who are never mentioned when looking at this parable. In fact, they're very rarely mentioned at all at any, at any time. And they're the servants. The people who quietly get on with doing the work that they've been given to do. I wonder how good we are at recognizing their contribution to the party. The quiet ones, the ones who don't make a fuss, who never speak out, but just get on with things. 
And then the two individuals. There's the king. Well, that's bound to be God, isn't it? After all, it's a parable about the kingdom. But look at this God, this king. It's a king of vengeance who burns a city, a whole city, and who throws an, a guest who's turned up not fully prepared into a place of torment. That doesn't sound like the God who Jesus appealed to on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Doesn't it sound more like human behavior? Meeting violence with greater violence. Isn't that what we do? So maybe this character is about those who use their abundance generously and yet behave viciously or just think murderous thoughts when others are ungrateful, don't respond as we expect them to. And the last figure, the guest who is not properly dressed, not dressed for a wedding. My study Bible suggests that perhaps it was a custom for the host to supply wedding clothes. Well, given the people who've come to this feast, I think those will be pretty necessary. Um, they've come from the streets and the hedgerows. They're certainly not going to be dressed for a wedding. And the suggestion is that the guest who is not properly dressed hasn't taken the clothing that was offered is insulting the host. And theologically speaking, the dire punishment is merited by the refusal of the righteousness that God offers. That's a plausible meaning, and it's a theological meaning. I tend to look at things a bit more simply. I think this guest is not prepared to join in wholeheartedly feast. And maybe that is us when we can't see anything beyond the church, the buildings, the style of worship, the structures, the divisions, all the business that goes with being a church. And we don't have time to look at the wider picture when we get hung up on the morality of other people, when we pursue anything that is ungenerous and divides and constricts, are we not then refusing to join in with the heavenly celebrations? God's kingdom is a place of rejoicing for all and with all. Can we actually embody that? It's a tall order. Amen. So let us bring to God our concerns for the people who can't or won't join in feast. Let us pray. Jesus said that God's kingdom is like a feast to which everyone is invited. The feast is meant to be here and now, but we know that for many people, it doesn't seem much like a feast. Some people find their plates are empty or replaced by a begging bowl. We pray in silence for those who are forced to depend on the handouts of foreign aid or welfare. 
especially the people in all countries who are suffering increasing hardship as a result of the pandemic. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Some people are simply unable to, join the, to enjoy the party. We pray in silence for students who feel they're being blamed unfairly for the spread of the virus, when most of them are actually trying to do their best. For all those who live in refugee camps, enduring miserable conditions made worse by their inability to protect themselves from the virus. We pray for migrants fleeing war or poverty exacerbated by climate change who find themselves unable to move on or to go back, belonging nowhere and wanted nowhere. We join our prayers with all people of goodwill. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Some people don't want to come to the feast. We pray in silence for those who cut themselves off from God because it's too costly in time, or money, or pride. We remember the people of this town who only see the church as a piece of heritage, a tourist destination. We remember all those who think that God is unnecessary in their lives. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Some people find they are rejected at the feast because they're not properly dressed. We pray silently for those who have been made to feel unwelcome in the church because of their sexuality or their disability or the embarrassment of their poverty. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we are here. We've come into this church to meet with you we are here as your family. God, we need you. When faced with a choice between good and evil, we choose the thing that harms us and those around us. We've failed to love other people. We've held grudges. We've ignored injustice. We've been jealous and unforgiving. God, we're ashamed. We want to run away from you, to curl up somewhere and hide. And yet, as we turn to go, we hear you calling us back, calling us by name. Let's listen then to Jesus, feel his touch, know his love. For through him, God says to us, your sins are forgiven. You are loved. You are free. Thank you, God. Amen. And we bring all our prayers together in the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In gratitude for this moment, this place, these people, we give ourselves to you.
Take us out to live as changed people because we've been touched by the living Lord and cannot remain the same. Ask much from us, expect much from us, enable much by us, and encourage many through us. So, Lord, may we live to your glory, both as inhabitants of earth and as guests in the kingdom. Amen. We say the grace together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. And we thank Maureen for the word this morning. A reminder that it's the Reverend Wendy Tucker next week. Um, and the bookings are, as always, available for those who wish to join us. For those at home, there are about 15 of us here this morning uh, on this fine morning. Uh, thank you.